This week, Microsoft bought ZeniMax for $7.5 billion. If they don't like it, they can bring it back to GameStop for $10.50. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we are talking about the big news Microsoft's major acquisition, plus Sony's big PS5 presentation, including Final Fantasy 16. That is right, 16. I'm Jason Trier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hey, and here we, we are. are. Back for another episode. Click, click, click. Back again. Our way click, click, into click. your hearts. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we get started, a couple of things. First of all, a big shout out to all of you out there who have supported the show so far by becoming Max Fun members. Just yes. a reminder to those of you who have not already become members, you can join at maximumfun.org slash join. Um, you get free access to, well, I guess it's not free. You get access to <laughs> our bonus content, uh, including our monthly beans casts. Um, I believe this month we are talking about Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. So we look sure out are. for that. That will be hitting <laughs> next week. I believe mm-hmm. next Monday, but early next week for subscribers, um, for mm-hmm. members, for Max Fun members. And yeah, thank you. Thank you again. And if you can't afford to support the show, that's really no problem. And, yeah, and we will NDD. not we will yep. we will not hold it against you. But one thing you can do, even if you can't pay or don't want to pay, is tell your friends and share the show with your friends. We very much appreciate any support you can give us like that. Yeah. Um one more thing before we get started. I want to read to you guys a couple one of more things. thing. Yeah, Sorry, that's not the segment we're <laughs> in, Jason. The, the what are you show. even saying? One, one other thing. <laughs> An additional I show thing. you two. <laughs> I want to show you, I want to read to you too um, from something. Okay? okay. Here are some predictions. You ready? Okay. <laughs> okay. Number one Microsoft will buy a major company, not just another mid tier studio, but something that makes us all say, wow. Oh, no. <laughs> number two. Number two Microsoft will bring Game Pass to a non Microsoft platform. Oh, number three. No. <laughs> Final Fantasy 16 will be announced. Those are all predictions that I made and all turned out to be correct in the past like month. But here's the twist: they're all from 2019. They are. That's they I was are. thinking. I was they're like, I don't remember you making year. all of these. Yeah. All three of these predictions uh, came true in the past month, and they are mm-hmm. all from last year. That is horrible. Mm-hmm. That is just horrible. All my 2020 predictions are completely wrong. For those of you who don't understand what we're talking about, by the way, <laughs> yeah, we, please. Since the last show that we hosted. Since our last podcast, we've done a, a, a yearly game where we all make predictions about the year, and then the winner gets to tell the other two to play a game. And, and, we and for play some reason, this year it was really hard to make predictions about what would happen. I can't think of anything that would have possibly yeah. impacted our predictions for 2020. Yeah, why would it be a weird, a weird world to make predictions? It's all going about. according just, to plan. <laughs> I just want to point out that my track record is is impeccable. If you only look at last year and right, right. if, you, this if, year. Right. if you're two years out, yeah. So I feel like this year when you write your predictions you need to just forward them to yourself a year from now and yes. just n- and then write different predictions don't ask me how you'll come up with those it's maybe just use this I year's again like- I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's I what feel you like do. I yeah. oh man well so if I look at my 2018 predictions one of them is like Oh man! Every all of my 2018 predictions are are true for 2019. Also, amazing. It's like, we will get our first rumors of next gen consoles. Mm-hmm. Nintendo will announce a sequel to Breath of the Wild. <laughs> so people can learn from this one to look at your predictions and then just take them another year out, mm-hmm. and then to go back two years for your predictions. Of and course. the other one is, and I do this is I'll reuse. I've reused my predictions yeah, before, and I think I've gotten them before. It does. Yeah, it's fair because you're like this is still going to happen. Like the unionizing one. Or 
I think I got a point for Valve announcing a Half-Life. Yeah, that one still yeah, hasn't happened. Yeah, I think that unionizing one is going to happen this year. I'm kind of regretting that I didn't put it in my mm-hmm. list. Feels but, like um, it when, might. Yeah, my 2018 predictions are Kingdom Hearts 3 will come out and have Pixar <laughs> Worlds. Came out in 2019. Um, someone will try selling a game for more than $60. Well, that happened this year, so that's a whole thing this Here year. Here we go. Another yeah, it's coming. It's coming, baby. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's get into the episode. Today, we have a... Sudden news. Sudden news. That's the name of our new segment when there's suddenly news and we have it's to talk about It's not breaking it. news. No, it's, it's sudden. sudden news. No, it's sudden, sudden news. news. This is a Maddie Myers invention, sudden news. Yes. Um, it's definitely not because I forgot the phrase breaking news briefly because my <laughs> no, brain has been broken by society and I was like, sudden it's news. Sudden it's news. because sudden news is what you say and it's what yeah, you always that's, say. That's what it we've is. always said. No, we're all mm-hmm. news people. We're all journalists. Yeah, and we've, of course. We've been saying this for years. Um, <laughs> Some sudden news. So in the past week, since we recorded uh, last week's episode, there's been a lot of sudden news. I've it's true. Say. So yeah. it felt like a good time to just kind of sit down and break it down. Um, let's start with last week's, and, and then we'll get into this week's big megaton. Um, mm-hmm. So last week, Sony did a surprise big PS5 presentation, um, and they announced a bunch more stuff, including like stuff that trickled out afterwards. So mm-hmm. a few key takeaways from this that I want to discuss with you guys. First of all, Holy shit, Final Fantasy 16 is coming. <laughs> um, you you two probably don't have the same emotional attachment that I do to that franchise, but when that Can game anyone? got announced, when that trailer <laughs> yeah, right. started Does playing, anybody? Did you the cry? conference opened up with that. I, I got a little misty. Did you well up a no, little No, it's bit? Yeah. the music is what always gets yeah. me, like that, that playing, and it's always like a different orchestration of the main theme, of the Final Fantasy main theme, and that's what played in the background of this one. Something mm-hmm. cool that Kirk, I know, well, actually, both of you appreciate is that the composer for this game is very clearly this guy named Soken, um, who is the composer for Final Fantasy XIV, which has incredible, that's the MMO, and it has incredible mm-hmm. music. And actually, really this is being made by like the Final Fantasy XIV development staff. Um, and so the, one of the producers on this game is Naoki Yoshida, who is generally seen as the guy who revived Final Fantasy XIV and transformed it from like a launch disaster that they had to take down into this incredible game that people still love today. In fact, that announcement got me so excited that I went and downloaded Final Fantasy XIV again and started jumping back <laughs> in. And I've been playing it. Um, people say that, that Shadowbringer is the most recent expansion pack to that game. It has like one of the best stories mm-hmm. in the entire series. Yeah, have you not played it yet? No, I'm, I'm getting there. Enjoy it. Um, um, there hasn't been a new Final Fantasy announcement since 2013. That was when 15 was announced. The fact that they made 16 of these things, man, everything about it is mind-boggling to me. What did you guys think? Did you enjoy the trailer of Final Fantasy 16? Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. Yeah, it was like great Final <laughs> Fantasy stuff. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. It's a medieval setting. It's kind sure. of like Final Fantasy. Fantasy meets Game of Thrones is the pop very culture buzzwords that were it's all over Final Twitter Fantasy during this 12. announcement. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's very much inspired by 12, I think. Um, it feels very gritty, Game of Thronesy. totally right. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really stood out to me about seeing this trailer is clearly like in-game footage as opposed to pre-rendered stuff. Mm-hmm. But also it's like it's not trying to be the ultimate production values, like highest graph of graphical fidelity. Like it looks like a normal ass game. Um, and I think that's actually really cool because one of Square Enix's problems and one of Final Fantasy problems over the years has been just like aiming for the highest end graphics and, and and kind of sacrificing a lot along the way, including your team's health and like the the number, the amount of time it takes to make these games, um, just at the for the sake of for the sake of graphical quality. And so it's cool to see this game having like more realistic looking targets. I think. 
Um, yeah. So that was. I would really agree cool. with that. I, yeah. I'm really not a Final Fantasy person, but I will say that after enjoying FF7 remakes so much this past year, I feel like I could become a Final Fantasy person, and mm-hmm. I'm willing to give this game a try. Oh, I, very nice. I, I don't know. I, I'm not as excited as Jason is because I don't think it's possible to be, but <laughs> I'm certainly willing to acknowledge that I was very, very into a Final Fantasy game this past year that I did not expect to be into at all. It's a different team, obviously, but still, I feel like that's worth noting at least for my own brain like maybe i'll like this one too i don't know yeah i feel that i mean i'm i'm like not a final fantasy person despite having played and enjoyed a lot of different final fantasy games but i would say that i'm a final fantasy 7 person and that playing Mm. the remake made me realize that like i just i that's the only world where i'm like i know all these characters and have made so many jokes and like know the music inside out and like have this kind of relationship with it even though like i like final fantasy tactics probably better than any other Final Fantasy game, but 7 was the one. But yeah, yeah. playing that, I'm I'm with you, Maddie. Playing that game and then talking about it with the two of you and like just having the experience of that game has made yeah. me be like, yeah, man, Final Fantasy 16, shit. I'm yeah, definitely going to play it. Talk Sign about it on this show. You know we're mm-hmm. going to. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of, so one of the things that's really exciting about this announcement is that the Final Fantasy 14 team is such a yeah. good track record mm-hmm. now of like writing these incredible... So I've, I've only gotten to Heaven's Word, which is the first expansion in the game. but I, So I've already seen a huge chunk. That's like 80, 100 hours in with like the whole main mm-hmm. story campaign, which I beat a couple years ago. And so I've already gotten to see like the writing in this game is incredible. The character development, and there's a lot to like really sink your teeth into. And so I'm very excited to see this team take that talent to like a mainline Final Fantasy game and just like, I have faith that they'll create this world and characters that like maybe will, maybe we won't remember as fondly as Final Fantasy 7 because that was a pretty special game, yeah. but like yeah. maybe it'll be up there. There with 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 some of the other greats, I, I'm very optimistic about this game. Um, also, one little tidbit is that I've heard from people who know the game, who have worked on the game, or, or are familiar with the game's development, that it's actually been in development for at least four years in some capacity. Wow. So it's coming sooner than people it looks like a whole video game like in the trailer i was impressed i went in expecting it to be like the final fantasy theme and like a chocobo claw and then like coming soon or whatever (laughs) and instead i was like oh shit like this is the whole feels like the whole story is done like it was all these different parts of the story and characters Mm -hmm. and like you know, like you said, gameplay. I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is a video game that's going to actually come out probably pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, it feels very real. Yeah, it looks real. It doesn't look unreasonable. And I think mm-hmm. 15 really set a terrible precedent with like, it was announced as versus 13 God. in like 2008 or something like that, 2006. Yeah. Um, and then took 10 years to make. And so, so that, I think they want to shy away from that. And I think it makes sense. I mean, 15 came out in 2016, so it's already been four years since the last Final Fantasy yeah, game. Yeah, and so. like not and like drawing a line between development and marketing is always a little shaky. But the marketing of 15 was a mess, and to me, 15 was mm-hmm. kind of a mess. Like you can like it as a mess or like it less as a mess, but it was like a mess of a game where like this it, it just feels like it came out really clean. They're like, here's what it is. It seems really confident, and that makes me optimistic that the game will probably, hopefully, at least yes. also be that way. Yes, so I am extremely excited. Um, other highlights of the presentation, God of War 2 was in there as a teaser. There's nothing to even talk about. It's just Yeah, like, classic Chocobo Claw situation yeah. Yeah, there, class- you know? It's exactly. a real Chocobo Claw, that's true. <laughs> well, we got to see, at least we got to see Kratos murdering a Chocobo by ripping feathers <laughs> out of its... If spirit, only, Punching man. its eyeballs out. <laughs> and it just cut to black really fast. <laughs> really weird trailer. Um, I was not we expecting that. 
We didn't get to see any more of Horizon 2, but we did get to see no. more of Demon Souls, which it turns yeah. out. So Sony did this weird thing where they like trickled out information afterwards. They actually put uh-huh. false information on some of the trailers. Like Demon Souls, uh, yeah. they said, was coming to PC and like other platforms, and that is they not did, true. and they said it was a PlayStation exclusive, but didn't necessarily say PlayStation 5 in the trailer. So we were having to update our news posts after the fact based on PR emails being well, like, Well, so that oh, was just them so... like putting the wrong putting the wrong bump bumper tag at the end yeah um which is not a good mistake (laughs) great thing to do terrible how do you do that it's very clearly like we put this together very quickly um so we also found out after the show that spider-man miles morales is coming to ps4 as i've been saying for like two months on this show like hey that Mm -hmm. game is definitely coming to ps4 um as we've all been saying i mean that's been clear but it's still a relief you know it'll be nice that more people can play that game and horizon forbidden west is also coming to ps4 which that that was actually actually surprising to me yeah that's surprising yeah, same. too. I did not know that. Um, and we found out the PS5's launch lineup, which is Miles Morales. Um, there's uh, that Sackboy platformer thing. And then Demon's mm-hmm. Souls. That's like the big selling point for this fall. Yeah. And then here is the big bombshell. Sony essentially told us, without saying so, that their baseline for games is going to be $70 this next console generation. Um, mm-hmm. So the way they're doing it is Miles Morales itself. Remember, that this is like a Lost Legacy style, like smaller game so that's only $50 but then you package that with the Spider-Man PS4 remastered on PS5 and the whole package is $70 um, some people said no that's just the case for this thing but no because <laughs> Demon Souls is also selling for $70 mm-hmm. um, Destruction All-Stars which is one of the other launch games also selling for $70 so it's very clear that this is the new baseline outside of this Falls games which I think some of which because we're in this weird cross-gen period like Ubisoft has said all of their games will be $60 on next gen I think starting next year we will officially see the move across all publishers all games from 60 to 70 dollars man how do you guys feel feel about that is it like about time is it scary what do you guys think i mean Hmm. i think it's it was gonna happen no matter what but i have definitely been feeling some type of way about how expensive gaming is as a hobby and they also announced the price of the ps5 yeah which actually isn't bad it's um, not bad it's not bad i mean five hundred dollars it might be kind of painful for you or it might not be it depends on well well i'm saying the discless one four hundred dollars all you lose is the disc drive you get the same thing and that's the same price as a ps3 from seven years ago that's pretty good inflation considered it's not bad, but I, I've definitely been thinking about it, just especially in light of the news. It's impossible for me to not factor that in because of the world in which we live. Like, mm-hmm, we're looking mm-hmm. at mass unemployment and a global recession that is yep. probably unavoidable based on how the United States has approached this this crisis. And I'm just like, man, these games sound expensive and a whole lot of people aren't going to be able to buy them. And the people who can buy them are going to easily be able to afford them because upper middle class people are doing fine right now and other people aren't. So that's kind of a dark answer to your question, but that was really truly what I thought about it when I saw the announcement of how much the console costs and the fact that games are going to be 70 bucks is that I'm like, if wages had risen alongside this, then we would all feel like this was completely fine, but they haven't. And that's a problem. Yeah. I, so, so I thought about this as well and completely agree, like that just gaming is very expensive. Mm-hmm. A thought that I had that's related is that 
that's the new game thing. Like if you're going to be the person who plays all the new games, but there is now this subscription thing that's catching True. on where yeah. now Sony is doing this and then Game Pass. Well, now, I mean, we'll get to the Bethesda news, but like Game Pass is about to become a hell of a lot more right. appealing. Yes. And so the big, the, the big Xbox thing, to your point, is Xbox gives you for $35 a month, you can get an Xbox Series X and Game Pass and it's like yes. a financing plan. So if right. you want the affordable, if you if you don't have a lot of money and you want the affordable plan, like that's that's the way to go. Assuming you can make your monthly payments because I think the credit cards they're partnering with are very much counting on people to like <laughs> not be able to and then you get into yeah. serious trouble. I know, which is predatory and crappy, yep. but it, as yep. long as you're able to make the payments, right. if you're it's able a to make deal. them, it's a really good deal. Yeah. But yeah, Kirk, uh, finish what you were saying. So yeah, anyways, that's that's basically it is that there is there is also this world where this very expensive thing becomes more affordable right. in the way that a lot of things become like quote unquote more affordable and that like we are we're given a line of credit and like mm-hmm. we pay it off over time. Oof. But also <laughs> old games, even slightly old games that are great, that most people probably haven't had time to play, are mm-hmm. almost like they're worth like 5 or $10 each. They're worth almost nothing. The same way that on PC you can get things for so cheap. Now if you just like have PlayStation Plus or Game Pass, you just have so many games to play that it almost it almost makes me think that there will be a new maybe it's already the way that a lot of people play games. I guess it kind of is, the, given how many people tell me they play uh, Game Pass games and just get whatever is on Game Pass where you get all your games that way and then like once or twice a year you're like okay, and now there's the big new thing, which I guess will probably just be Sony games, mm-hmm. um, or Nintendo games I guess, where you'll pay full price for those games but most of the games that people play will be via some sort of service. That's kind of a better future, but... Which is a good segue into our next big topic, <laughs> because... This week, possibly the biggest gaming story of the year, or one of the biggest gaming stories of the year, is that Microsoft on Monday announced that it was spending seven and a half billion dollars. Um, that's almost <laughs> twice as much as Disney paid for Lucasfilm, by the way, um, wow. to buy ZeniMax, the owner of Bethesda, which is the makers of Fallout and The Elder Scrolls, and also has a bunch of other subsidiaries like id, makers of Doom, um, Machine Games, makers of Wolfenstein, and a couple of others. Arcane, of course, Dishonored, uh, mm-hmm. one of the show's, show's favorites, Prey. the show favorites, and Prey, another show favorite. Um, so this is a humongous deal. Um, so to answer a couple of likely questions, so Microsoft has said that they're going to honor the commitment Bethesda made to Sony, the contract Bethesda signed with Sony to put their next two games, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, as PS5 console exclusives, which leads to the hilarious situation that Microsoft <laughs> is releasing two PS5 console exclusives. Like yep. literally, Microsoft published games are pay are, are being paid money to deprive themselves from Xbox. It's hilarious. So what I want to know is, is it going to say Microsoft when you load up Deathloop? Yeah, and- no, it definitely will. It'll say Microsoft Amazing. Game Studios. Amazing. Yeah, it's extremely part good. Of Microsoft Game Studios. <laughs> and then um, it's so funny. And then uh, the other big question people have, which doesn't have a, a concrete answer yet, um, is what about future Bethesda games? Are they going to be not on PlayStation? And yeah. so what Phil Spencer told my colleague at Bloomberg, Dina Bass, is that they're going to put games on PC and Xbox, um, including Xbox Game Pass Day One, just like all their other published games. And then other consoles will be decided on a case by case basis, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 pretty safe to say that they're not unless like they enhance their relationship with Sony or Sony gives them something in return like 
lets them put Xbox Game Pass on PlayStation, they're not going to put the next Fallout or Elder Scrolls on PS5. I think it would be a fascinating like horse trade to be like, listen, Sony, if you put, if you let us put Xbox Game Pass on here, then we'll do it. Um, but that's that's a, a Game of Thrones y conversation for another day. In that's the meantime, a wild Jason prediction for 2022. Yeah, that that will that's a good one. That is well, I'll predict it next year and then it'll of happen course. the following right, year. Right, right, right. <laughs> when Starfield comes out. Um so yeah, what do you what do you what do you two think? Kirk, what's your take on uh this major consolidation within the video game industry? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm generally nervous about consolidation only because everything is always consolidating and huge corporations buy everything. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious how developers at some of these, especially at like, you know, smaller studios at like machine games or arcane, people who have had the creative freedom to make really cool stuff under Bethesda. And I'm sure it just takes me back to when we would get purchased back when we were working at Kotaku. Yes. And yes. I was thinking about that too. I'm sure. I feel like we'll all feel that way forever when <laughs> So okay, so I have I have a little bit of insight onto that, actually. Two things. One is that I think um, some, if not a lot of them, have benefited financially. I know there were raises and bumps and bonuses being promised. And also yeah, anyone sure. who owned ZeniMax shares is going to make out in, in a good way, uh, make out like a bandit here. Um, but the second thing, and maybe this is a point you hadn't considered, but if you look back at Bethesda's past few years, one of the reasons they wanted to sell so badly is because they have not been doing too hot since like the release of Fallout 4. Um, right. Prey, a lot of Arcane's games have been kind of flops or semi-flops. Prey, Dishonored 2, Fallout mm-hmm. 76 was obviously a debacle. <laughs> something that game to consider, exists, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, something to consider is that any other company might not want the kind of like mid-size, like not super mega hit immersive sim games that like a company like Arcane makes. Whereas Microsoft loves that shit because it just goes on Xbox Game Pass and helps fill up the catalog. And so all the studios they've been buying so far are like in that in-between area of like the 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 double A quote unquote of like games that might cost ten million to make and might sell like a million copies instead of ten million copies. And Arcane fits really nicely in there, and maybe some of Bethesda's other stuff does too. So actually, creative maybe it'll help them even though I'm with you on like being nervous about consolidation I don't necessarily think it would be a bad thing for the developers themselves no sure for sure and I I think it's more it's I think it's as much my stuff as any actual prediction about what's happening Mm -hmm. it's just seeing a group of people who were working under one paradigm get purchased and and just adjust to the fact that they're going to be working under another paradigm. Uh-huh. And the fact that at every point, at least in my experience, that that's happened to me, <laughs> it's always been a lie. Like, the, uh-huh. the there's always some amount of bullshitting. And it's not always, it's the end of the world. It's not like, you know, it's not always as bad as it went with Kotaku in the end, even though mm-hmm. I wasn't even really there for that final transition. But you like, got to hear about it. I did. And it's, <laughs> not, it's not always the worst case scenario of like, and now we're just going to be pillaged for parts and everything is going to fall apart. Like, a lot of times it's just like we're so excited about this new partnership and things are staying exactly as they were like and you know then behind right. the scenes and yes. how long does that last that's always the promise right is like we're gonna let you stay independent right. and keep doing the creative projects that you already do so well yes. and we're just right. gonna bankroll them and we won't get involved and then like six months goes by a year goes by they're looking at your bottom lines and like, they're like what if you made this into a service game like 
like just an hey, idea. We just have a few yeah. notes and it turns out if you don't implement our notes, we are taking away everything from you. Right. And that's but we don't we don't know if that's going to happen. 100%, especially with a company like Microsoft that just has yes. a history of like tr- big transitions and overhauls and changes over the past like decades where like one year they'll be doing one thing. Even you look at Xbox, look at the Xbox 1 launch and like how quickly they pivoted from like that approach to something else and then something else yeah. entirely with with Xbox Game I mean, Pass. I think some of those decisions have been pretty smart, but I I do mm-hmm. agree with Definitely. Kirk about just the overall feeling of Microsoft acquiring something because it I know they've been eyeing this for a while. There have been rumors for a while about Microsoft making acquisitions. They've already made some acquisitions. Yeah. We've talked about the Double Fine one on on the show yep. in the past. And so this isn't unexpected in that way, but it is still it makes me wonder if this conversation would have been really different if the pandemic hadn't happened this year and if Bethesda would feel differently about its security and finances if we were mm. in a different version of 2020. And we'll never know the answer to that. But I do think that there, that was probably something that played a role was like the future is extremely unknowable right now across all industries. Microsoft has money falling out of its ears and every other orifice if Microsoft had orifices and (laughs) they are extremely stable and safe feeling and like getting acquired by them probably felt like a pretty good proposition in 2020 Mm -hmm. and that I don't know that's my theory is that that played a role as well that makes sense especially when I think about the feet like what Bethesda had on the horizon yeah where like whatever like the games they were working on Elder Scrolls and is it Starfield is that what it's called yeah which game? those could be very far yeah, away yeah they're so far away and there's this question of like what is Bethesda actually doing for money <laughs> like you know I'm yeah. sure they're making money on some things but like Deathloop looks like it's going to be really cool and I think the three of us will probably yeah. dig it but it does seem like one of those games that some people will like but it'll be kind of niche and then it won't mm-hmm. make enough money and so yeah it does seem like a, a safe move for yeah them for well sure. so Bethesda yeah. does have well so if you look at this from Microsoft's perspective this is like a, a game changer for Xbox Game Pass and I think it's entirely for Xbox Game Pass like there's been a lot of takes oh yeah, yeah. there have been sure. a lot of takes about like oh this is their next come com- like this is their way of beating the PS5 I can promise you that like Microsoft does not give a shit about beating the PS5 like maybe some of their marketing people like when you say beating you mean selling more Xbox Series X than selling PS5. more consoles yeah if they right. wanted to do that, they would make exclusive games for the Xbox instead of putting all their games on PC and Xbox and whatever else, like Game Pass, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not their strategy is very much like we want everyone in the world subscribed to Xbox Game Pass and paying us ten dollars a month for the privilege because that makes them infinity revenue. That doesn't make them like like they cannot give a shit about the fanboys on Twitter being like, oh, Xbox gonna beat the PlayStation now, like. M- that is not Microsoft's strategy. But um, from their perspective for, on Game Pass, not only do they now get every single Bethesda game as a new, like, day one launch game yeah. for Game Pass, which is such an appealing uh, proposition from from a customer because it's like, why would I spend $70 on Deathloop when I could get it for $10 a month, like, among yep. other hundreds of other games? But also, Microsoft gets access to this super lucrative back catalog of games. And a couple of them have been on Game Pass. I believe Morrowind was on there and, like, Fallout 3 at some point or Fallout 4 at some point or both but um, but now they can put everything like all of Bethesda's old stuff can suddenly go on Game Pass and that is super super appealing as a proposition and really cool for people who have them. Game Pass like it that's is, a great yeah. I mean when it's Saturday and you're sitting there being like I want to play something different and you look and you're like you know I never played Dishonored 2 that's a great example yeah. I kind of did that you know what a year ago I guess and it was great I was like whoa <laughs> this game is amazing and I just like didn't find time for it yep. when it came out um, I have a question that's just um, I'm thinking back to 
other Microsoft acquisitions, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. what the two of you think of this. When Microsoft bo- bought Mojang and yes. owns, now owns Minecraft, they did not make Minecraft into an exclusive for Xbox. Do you think that that is some sort of a precedent here and that that could inform the, like, the chances of them making all these Bethesda games into uh, Xbox exclusives? Jason, you're shaking I your head. I feel like the genie was already out of the bottle on Minecraft and you couldn't put it mm-hmm. back in at that yeah, point. Minecraft it was already, already such a cross-platform sensation that buying Minecraft and making it exclusive would have pissed off so many people that it wasn't a worthy proposition mm-hmm. to consider. Yeah, that well, makes sense. So, okay, so... That is true, but on second thought, I just had kind of like a, an interesting change of heart. Moyang did release a game oh. recently, Minecraft Dungeons, which is actually pretty good. I played a bunch of it on, yeah, on the PC. Fun. They actually put that on Switch and PS4. And so that is an interesting, like if you're looking at Microsoft's overall strategy, that is right. an interesting precedent. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, sure. Microsoft has flirted with Nintendo a lot. They have put Cuphead on the Switch. They actually just announced last week that they were putting Ori 2 on the Switch in a Nintendo Direct, um, the one that had Hades, which we will get to uh, <laughs> later on today. Um, but um, so there is precedent for, Mic- for Microsoft being like, okay, we're going to keep it. So from that perspective, you could say, well, Microsoft has said they're going to keep Bethesda pub- uh, uh, autonomous as a publisher, semi-autonomous as a publisher. So maybe if Bethesda wants to still put Fallout 5 or Elder Scrolls 6 or Starfield on PS5, maybe they still can. But I yeah. don't know. It's it's a tough one. It's a tricky it, it- one. It is a tough one, and I don't know where it'll go. I, I, they might not I know just, yet. By the way, they might not oh, yeah. have yeah. decided. I, it's, it's totally just. A, I'm sure they don't. And like when I look to the future, I, it's just imagining a world where Fallout Five isn't on PlayStation. <laughs> I don't is know. It really like it's that one strange? thing. I mean, no, but like, it's one. Oblivion yeah, and Morrowind it's... were like Xbox 360 like exclusives or timed exclusives. Like, yeah, this is, and the we're last just generation. not in that world anymore, though. Like, That's true. and while it's it's. It's true of a lot of Sony exclusives. Like those are, you know, like Uncharted is just like a. That's always been on PlayStation. It's it's just it just feels crazy, it feels and strange. it might be that yeah. just that's the new world. Like we're in a world that isn't like the world you just mentioned, where you know Oblivion came out on 360. We're in a different one. It could be we will be in a different one yet again. It's mm-hmm. just that's that's wild. That'll be wild if that's the case. Yeah, although it's it's yeah, it's it's a good like. How much does it actually hurt Sony? Like Elder Scrolls Six is going to sell. 20 million copies, right? But Sony is still going to be raking in money with like people buying all of their games for 70 bucks. So the new Uncharted, the next Uncharted, the next Last of Us, the next God of War, like all the shit that they have in their stable, plus all the other third party yeah, stuff. I mean, it goes back to the, to, them. to the premise on the console war, which is that all three yeah. of these people, the Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, are all fighting different wars. Like they all have different exactly. objectives. So there's, it's not zero sum with any of them. Yeah, and they can I actually mean, all win. I don't know if Sony's tactic is actually going to work, but I've said it before. I really feel like Microsoft's makes a lot of sense and this is just another piece in that puzzle where I'm like great you don't you aren't focusing on hardware anymore you don't have to worry about hardware shortages as much you can just really pummel that game pass thing home just seems like it's gonna come in handy for them whereas Sony I'm like yeah I guess you're counting on the people who can afford $70 games and exclusives and like a really specific hardcore gamer niche that is at least in my eyes, slowly fading away and becoming more of a world where people subscribe to a lot of services and they play some games. It's and- funny you say that because I felt like I had the opposite perspective. Like anecdotally, oh, I was yeah? just hearing from people who were like looking to or- to pre-order PS5s who would have never pre-ordered last generation. Well, and it feels like... Yeah. I mean, I feel like the PS5 is the one that you need the hardware 
But Xbox is the one where you need Game Pass. Yeah, but I'm saying that that niche of hardcore gamers, I think, has actually right. gotten way bigger. Like, I don't think it's a mm. niche. And I think I think that my theory that I've been kind of ruminating on for a while is that the gaming audience, and especially the gaming audience for hardcore games, quote unquote, let's just say that to Yeah, which is fake, from, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just for lack of a better word, really. Yeah, like, people, yeah. people who aren't just playing games on their phone, which there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with, but, like, people who are actually into console games. You know, weirdos. <laughs> yeah, Weirdos like us. I think yeah. that that audience has expanded exponentially since the last generation. You can and be I right. think games I think games have like gotten bigger than they ever have before because of things like Fortnite and and just explosions of like cultural phenomenons. And I think that like phenomena. I think for that reason, um I think both of these consoles are just gonna sell gangbusters and I think that But like, like with different overlapping circles in the Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah it's very possible. Right. I think the PS5 will probably outsell the Xbox overall long term because of the exclusive question. And because right, right. People who play on PC have no reason to get an Xbox as opposed to PlayStation. Yeah, and they're doing a hardware model where the hardware really matters, whereas Xbox and Microsoft just isn't right. doing Xbox that. And they're going to make a bunch of money we won't even know how much money because it's not like they're going to tell us. But I well, think the they'll thing be fine. they're going to make a bunch of money. Both of these companies are making like arm over fist money because hand over fist money because because uh, of the stores. <laughs> it's a, I was right the first time. Arm, no, <laughs> no, no, I think hand over fist is correct. I'm trying to figure it out because if your hand goes over your fist, that's what the expression is. But why? Right. Anyways, yeah. who cares? Well, Let's keep talking about video games. Money. Um, I guess so because both of them get a thirty percent cut out of every digital game sold in their stores, and they're both selling digital consoles. So like yeah. anytime anyone buys anything. Thing. They're just like getting free money. So they're, mm-hmm. they'll both be fine. Um, but I really think, I think this generation is going to be even bigger than the last one was. And the last one was pretty big. And I just, especially in the pandemic where everybody's jumping into games, having never played games before, like they're all bored looking for things to do. That's going to mm-hmm. continue through next year. Like we're going to see record sales numbers. I think I'm pretty, pretty bullish on the video game industry overall. I think you're right about that. Yep. So, yeah, all that to say, I also am scared of our future where Microsoft and Disney own everything. Everything? But, yeah. <laughs> but look, but if they're, if Microsoft wants to spend a couple of billion on this podcast, um, just hit us up. You can reach us at triplecleckatmaximumfun.org. Jason is interested in talking to you. We really, are not. Yeah, Kirk and I are really not. looking to sell out. No, I'm just kidding. Microsoft, we will respond with just a gif of a middle finger no matter how much you offer. We are mm. punk, rock, we are not selling out to the man. We are <laughs> listener supported. Heck yeah, we are. Heck yeah. Uh, feel free to play this clip in like five years when we sell out. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We just like we just owned our future selves. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if Lindsey Graham can can say that and then that's true. Get away. No with longer it later matters on, what you say. Nothing matters. Nothing that's matters. True. All right. Why don't we take a break and then we will get into one more thing. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. (laughs) How about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. Or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill oh, is the new Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Join us as we have a good time imagining all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now. 
have a lot of problems. How do you juggle your holes at the library? How do you decide what to read next? What do you do when you find out an author you love is a huge trash baby? I'm Brea Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. And we're the hosts of Reading Glasses. We're here to solve all your reader problems and along the way, help you figure out your reader wheelhouse, which are the things that will absolutely make you pick up a book. Our listener favorites tend to be magic and a woman on a journey. And also birds for some reason. Your reader doghouse. Yeah, that's the things that'll make you avoid a book. Ugh, love triangles stress me out so much. Reading Glasses. Every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time once again for one more thing. Sure is. I'm going to go first this week because uh, I know that at least Kirk and I are, are champing at the build bit to talk about this one. My one more thing is Hades, a Hades. game that came to Switch last week and also came out of early access. So it's like an official 1.0 release. I have been holding off on this game for a Switch release um, since we first found out about it. And um, people have been raving about this game for a long time. And I jumped in have played it constantly over the weekend (laughs) understand exactly why people have been raving about it so much this game is fantastic so a little bit of context this is the new newest game from super giant who are this like all-star studio that has released four games and all four of them are bangers they're responsible for bastion transistor and pyre three excellent games um although i never really got into transistor but regardless three Transistor is an excellent game you know i should i should give it another chance on switch really great you would it's awesome i think i'd love it um, but Hades, I like better than all of them so far. And I really liked Bastion and Pyre. Um, Hades is a game, it's, um, you play as the son of Hades trying to escape the underworld. It is a roguelike, so every time you go into the underworld, it's uh, different, it's like procedurally generated world, so it's different levels. Um, at each level, you get to kind of pick like which reward you're going to get next, and that is where the strategy comes into play because you can build out your character based on the rewards you're getting. So like at the end of each level, you see two orbs or three orbs, and you can pick Um, which one you want. Do I want to go and get a key that'll help me unlock my abilities later? Or do I want to go get some coins that'll help me now? And a lot of the strategy is thinking like long-term rewards and stuff that carries on with your character over time and versus short-term rewards and stuff that carries on with your character just for this run that you're doing. Um, There's something really appealing about it. Not just like everything about it is great. The atmosphere is great. The way it feels to play is great. The actions, the weapons are great. There's like a wide variety of weapons and they all feel different and awesome. Um, the the writing and dialogue is like top notch. The voice acting, the music, everything about this the is art, just perfect. Did you talk the about art, that yet? The art oh, is amazing. Great um, looking game. The level of horniness is through the roof. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you may have noticed people all over social media talking about their Hades crushes. Their That's, Hades uh, crushes. Yeah, <laughs> there's I saw a lot a of gif. people you can crush on in the game. <laughs> I saw a fantastic gif of a of a woman streamer playing it, and she's just playing, and then she gets to like the character the the Ares um character, and she yeah. just goes like oh, oh, and like she has this face. <laughs> <laughs> of pure pure delight and horniness. Um, it's hilarious. So anyway, so the thing that I was going to say, the thing that I think is really appealing to people and, and to me um, in particular about it is that it never feels like your run through the game is a waste. Like you never feel like you're wasting time. Um, usually a roguelike does that, accomplishes that, because usually uh, the definition of a roguelike is that essentially you, you lose everything and it's like you have to keep trying and trying and trying. You lose everything when you die in a run. And they call it run because that's the new tries, right? Um, so usually in a roguelike, the sense of accomplishment is that you have kind of 
honed your skills and you're going to be better at it the next time but in this the game is so good at giving you those long-term rewards and like unlocking new things and giving you new dialogue every time you finish a run and get back to like the main chamber of where Hades is and like uh, all the other NPCs are who can talk to you it's just excellent at making you want to keep playing and playing you never feel like you're wasting your time and that to me is what makes it such a great game one of my favorites of the year so far in a year that has been otherwise kind of mediocre for me I love it to death Kirk I know you're also playing it so i want to hear your kind of overall thoughts as well yeah this game rips this it's super <laughs> super good i've i played a little bit of hades in early access uh when it kind of first came out and was like oh this is good and then didn't really get super into it partly because it was in early access and i just i think i was playing other things this is out now it's out on switch which is what i've been playing it on and it's really great on switch just because you know performance isn't quite as smooth as on pc but it's just playing it as on handheld and they're going to add cross save at some point in the future which is also really cool because i do have this game on pc so playing it like you know on a pc with like total smoothness would be pretty cool too although it's pretty smooth on switch we're saying no there are there are noticeable frame rate dips anytime the screen really? gets busy oh yeah heck yeah it dips way below 60 like whenever there's huh. there's a bunch of stuff happening but it's it doesn't really detract like i don't i don't mind but playing it on pc it's like noticeably smoother um, might be uh, your mileage may vary kind of thing. So Super Giant Games to me is just this man. There are just so few studios like this. They're very small and they're so singular because each role in the studio feels so distinct. I know. So Gen Z is the art art lead at um, Super Giant. She's responsible for how all these games look, and these games have looked like a billion dollars from the very beginning. Like Bastion looks amazing, and they all have her style. Like they all mm-hmm. look similar the characters are gorgeous and like yeah like horny but in this really cool way like every character just like looks fascinating and the art on all of them is so cool the environment art is like incredible all the environments are so intricate and like colorful and just beautiful so it's amazing looking it's amazing sounding darren korb the composer of this game rules Like, he's ruled from the beginning. I mean, that was, like, what made Bastion great. But also, the voice cast is great, and Logan Cunningham, who is this voice actor who's been working with them from the beginning, is great. Though, I didn't know this until yesterday. Do you know who plays Zagreus, the main character? It's yeah. freaking Darren Korb. Darren Korb yeah. I found that audio director. Yeah. The audio director, yeah. So, I was, that blows me away, because he's great. He's, like, really good. He also plays Skelly, the training skeleton. He plays two characters in it. So, that guy is, like, a triple threat. But the music kills in this game. And, like, a big part of it for me i totally agree that when i'm playing like the fact that you're always getting the like purple goo that you use to level yourself up long term and the keys to get you new weapons and like there's always a feeling that you're sort of making your way through it it's there's two other things that one is that i just like love playing it and every new encounter is like a treat just because it's so well designed and transistor in particular i think is like an incredibly well designed game and you can just tell They've been playing with a lot of these design ideas for so long. And actually, Hades is their safest game, I would say. Like, from a design standpoint, it's the safest. Like, 
every other game was weird in some way. The Transistor is like a kind of a more tactical game in some ways. There's like a grid that you're moving along. It doesn't, it's not as much of a just straight up Diablo feeling game the way that Hades is. And Pyre is like really experimental to the point where I think a lot of people kind it's of like bounced a off weirdo that game. sports game. Yeah, it's like a basketball novel. RPG. Um, so those are like, but there are still these mechanical items they play with like Transistor. You'll really like that game, Jason. There's all this stuff with like your build in that game where if you take damage, your weapons get damage too so you have to like switch your loadout in the middle of a fight and get by without that move that you were surviving on the whole time and you realize how well balanced the combat system is which is also true in Hades where like whatever weapon you're using whatever you're fighting it's going to be like a like total knockdown drag out fight that's going to be really exciting every time so it's so well designed and there's so much writing like it's nuts how much writing there is in this game and that's Greg Kasavin the the lead writer and the writer of all these games um, I can't believe how much writing there is. Every time you go back to Hades, there's new dialogue. Every time you go somewhere new, there's something new. Even encounters like the boss fight against the Fury, Meg, like it starts changing eventually and like things just keep changing and there's this feeling of like no run is the same in this game, not right. just because it's procedurally generated, but because they've written a jillion lines of dialogue and they have a whole story that unfolds that's built around the idea of a repeating dungeon where you're always getting new dialogue. I think I've never heard a line of dialogue repeat and I've probably played like 12 hours of the game or something. Like it's totally nuts. So yeah, th- it's an amazing game. I'm like over the yeah. moon about it. I can't wait to play it more. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten into the tactics part of it, which is that like you can really like max min max the, the character builds. Oh, there's so much strategy. Yeah. So every time you play through the, the, the game, every time you do a run, you'll meet the, the various gods of Olympus. Like, um, Ares and Zeus and Poseidon and so on and so on and they'll all give you different powers based on who you find when um, and a lot of people you can like max out your builds based on selecting a certain weapon which pairs well with like this particular boon that you get from the god and you get to choose between a bunch of boons and it's just very like cerebral and but not too cerebral it's it just got that perfect balance of everything I like that there's an element of randomness there even though you can mm-hmm. get the trinkets from them that then if you equip them your next boon will be from that god which like a Athena has like really good defensive boons, so I've been yep. using her because I'm like, you yeah, know, it's good. if you're kind of starting out, it's useful, really her deflection skill. So mm-hmm. like you can kind of be like, all right, I'm going to like nudge the like RNG generator this way, you know, or the, the RNG this way. Um, but you're not able to like build a very specific build. You kind of don't know what you're going to get. Or chaos is a great example where like chaos shows up and they're really weird you know, buffs that you get that also come with debuffs and they don't happen all the time. So there's so much, there's never, you can't just plan everything out. So you have to be kind of loose. And they've always done a good job of that. That's why I think Transistor is such a well-designed game because you have to stay flexible in that game. And I really like when games creatively push you outside of just like, okay, yes, you can just like use that one attack on that one weapon over and over again on most enemies. This game is very good at, at pushing you outside of that, yes. which I think is really yes, cool. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody go play Hades. It's so good, um, man. It's so good. <laughs> Maddie, what's your one more thing? Okay. So I watched the second season of Pen15. You guys remember, we talked about this first season of this show a while back. Oh, yes, back. and I watched yep. the first season and loved it. It yep. rules. The second season also rules, but I just want to recommend to the listener what this show even is. Yes. So it's two adult women comedians who are playing themselves in middle school and all of the other actors on the show are played by middle school aged (laughs) kids except they have to act like these two adult women are also middle school aged 
But I mean, that's a hilarious enough premise on its own. But I feel like what really makes this show work so well for me is that it's very rare for me to see a show that's about women that engages in like gross out humor and uh, embarrassing stuff that happens to teenage girls. I feel like that's just a topic that hasn't really been touched that much in media because usually it's men who are making media and they don't really know how to write those experiences. But this show is based on actual real life experiences of these women. And it's so <laughs> like, it's amazing. I yeah. watching season two, my girlfriend and I were just screaming at the television and how embarrassing <laughs> 90% of it is because it's unbearable to watch, but it's also <laughs> the greatest. And the show is almost surreal in it's humor. Like sometimes just weird shit is unfolding and you're like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm looking at, but it's amazing. <laughs> and I hope, people will check it out because I'm really glad it exists. Where can people watch it? <laughs> it's on Hulu. Um, I love season one of this show. and So weird. So Yeah, good. it's funny because this show, I would have said this show is one of the first to really mine, um, I mean, it is one of the first, but I would have said it's the first to really mine middle school as a yeah. specific era of hell that we all live through. <laughs> but actually, um, uh, Big Mouth is another yes. show that is very similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, it's not, it, it does handle like girls and boys and like both of the things that they go through. They Though, have a similar energy. It, but... Yeah, very similar energy, actually. Like there are even some, I remember there's like a subplot in season one that kind of matches up, but they're still very different because of the whole adult framing, which sort of neutralizes some, it like both enhances the energy of the show, but also neutralizes other aspects of it. And yeah. makes, it just makes everything a little weird. So the horrible, awkward situations feel a little more bearable in some ways because it's adults who are suffering. That's what the cartoon aspect of Big Mouth does. Right. True. Like yeah, very similar. Yes, yes. The heightened aspect. Like if you were watching actual little kids do the stuff in Big Mouth, that would not right. be pleasant. No, yeah. that's true. <laughs> There's just something about watching adults be as embarrassing and strange as middle schoolers are, especially if you're like, well, this yeah. is clearly based on something that really happened. And it's yeah. it's like a unique sensation to watch that. And I think everyone should at least watch the pilot for the show. It's so yeah, yeah. weird and good. It's, it's great. Uh, Kirk, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is a little 2007 video game that you both might have heard of <laughs> called Super Mario Galaxy. Cool. And I have been playing for the first time over the past oh. few days. That's a cool game. Yeah, it is. Holy <laughs> shit. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. I, like, I, I knew it was good, but I don't think I knew how wild it it is. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm, I'm like through the first galaxy. I'm up to the next one. But it's already clear this game, the developers of this game also worked on what? 3D World, 3D Land, and Odyssey. So these are kind of the modern stewards of 3D Mario. And I remember playing 3D Land on the 3DS and not having played um, Galaxy and thinking and having people be like, oh, this is going to be amazing because these people are amazing. And then that game is amazing. And it's that's the same feeling that Galaxy has, that Odyssey has, um, and that 3D World, I didn't love that one as much, has of like constant new ideas. You might like it more when it's not on the Wii U, because the Wii U is yeah. kind of, I think when it comes yeah, to that Switch, be it. it'll be given another another shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that seems like, it's not a bad game, I just like, it didn't, whatever, I didn't play a lot of it. But, um, it, so that sense of like new ideas always coming at you is like really amazing in all of those games, where you're just like, holy shit, like how have I been playing this for this long? And there's still like every level is something new. But Galaxy's fundamental idea, this the way of that it uses 3D space, the way that you're like walking around these little planets, that it uses yeah. gravity as a mechanic. Uh-huh. Like there 
it's it's just totally mind blowing. Like I'm like having vertigo half the time I'm playing this game because <laughs> the the first time that you realize playing this, even having played all those other games, and I loved Odyssey, it was a great game, but when you walk up to the edge of a world in this game and you walk over it and the gravity holds you down and the camera flips over the side of the planet, there's nothing else like that. Like, I've never seen something like that in a Mario game. And it blew my mind, like, the first time I did it. I I guess I've seen people play this game, but it's just different when you're playing it yourself. And you realize, holy shit, this whole game's gonna be like this. And now I'm doing the thing where you're, like, bouncing from those gravity stars, and, like, you flip from one planet down to another planet that's right near it, and your gravity, like, you switch to a different gravity center. And it's just... Yep, that's how the game works. And now you're walking around on this one. And it's so, it manages to be intuitive despite introducing these totally nuts ideas that I still don't really see in very many games. So it's really amazing. I mean, it's just an amazing game. I played a little bit with Emily also in, in like co op mode. That was what I was going to ask you because I remember liking the co op mode in that co-op game. Co op mode is fun. It's really good. I like it better than co op in Odyssey because she can really just sort of chill and the yes. game has got so much going on that like if, mm-hmm. if it were more involved and we really needed to work together, it would be too much. But yeah. with her just like shooting stuff and, you know, grabbing stars, then, then we're both just kind of marveling at whatever bananas thing is happening on screen at any given moment. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's such a, it's such a, yeah, such a trippy game. I when it came out in two thousand seven, um, I think it was two thousand seven. Yeah, it was two thousand seven. I was in college. Um, this game Same. happens to be extremely good with paired with weed and <laughs> I can imagine in college. <laughs> in college, if you happen yeah, to sure. imbibe a little bit mm-hmm. and right. enjoy this game, of just just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, right? I can. No, I can totally imagine it. Well, and that that kind of that lets me segue into another thing I was going to say, which is that aesthetically, <laughs> I think this game is on a different aesthetic level for me than any Mario game I've played. Like, I don't love the Mario aesthetic in general like it's not a game i think of for its aesthetics it's pleasing but it basically everyone just looks like a like inflatable balloon kind of mm-hmm. and everything is really colorful but just sort of like clown town this game is really beautiful at times. Wait like until it, you get the clown galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> this There's this these pastel storyboards, the way they tell the story, and the music is just out of sight. I mean, I've, Mario has always had great music, but this music is just amazing. And it's going for this whole like kind of. It's really the orchestration, yeah. The the, the yeah, way that it it feels like there's an orchestra like scoring your movements. It's really yeah, cool. and the melodies they're using a lot of like Lydian and a lot of these sounds that are just like really bright and sort of. It sounds like a '90s cartoon a little bit, like the sort of like explorer cartoon where you're in outer space and you're going to a new adventure. <laughs> it's so adventurous. It's so friggin' good. I, I'm something, really something amazed by noting. it. Something worth noting, by the way, about the aesthetics is that they are so much better now because now this game is in HD. And mm-hmm. when it came out in 2007, we did have HD games. Like 2006 was when the 360 and PS3 were were like starting to release HD level games. And having this Wii game come out that was like 480, like didn't look great on like your big screen TVs at the time. And so now you can really appreciate it a lot more now that it's in high definition. It does look nice, though. I think it's really, I mean, the music and the art direction and the art direction would work at any resolution like it's just it's so amazing looking i mean when you launch off of one planet in a galaxy and just go flying in like a spiral around to another one oh last thought is that it's got it's really made me realize how many games 
draw from this. Like playing Gravity Ghost, that really cool game. Like that game is totally like using the gravity mechanic. And then playing playing Outer Wilds, a game that I dearly love, yeah. before playing Galaxy. It's like watching Stranger Things before watching E.T. Like you're like, <laughs> oh, well, these are both good. And I liked watching both of them. But now I see like they got a lot of ideas from, you know, from the one thing. So anyways, it's a wonderful game. I love it. I'm going to play the hell out of it. Like I... I adore playing it it's so good oh man i'm so excited because you there's so much stuff coming that will like i know i can i know because every freaking level is like some amazing (laughs) new thing so i think that i'm sure that continues to the end well yeah and some of the galaxies are just like giant puzzles or like bonus mini games and stuff like that and then it's really unfortunate that mario galaxy 2 isn't on there because that game like really takes yeah i'll find a way to play it and like really takes it to the next level yeah it's it's but i'm happy with galaxy one for now it's i'm it's great and I'm very excited. Um, okay, cool. So on that note, that is it for this week's episode. So it is time to say goodbye. Kirk, it is. Maddie, we will see you next week. Yep, see you both next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.